Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined by Rahul Singh, who heads up the EdTech line of business at the Harbinger Group. We're going to hear a little bit more about Rahul's story shortly, but before we do any of that, Rahul, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you very much, Mike, for having me on the show today. You're someone who's been focused on EdTech, which winds up being a very big and fascinating space these days. We're going to get into some EdTech trends with you, talk XR, talk Web3, maybe a little bit of AI, like I mentioned, blockchain, who knows? But before we get to any of that, we always begin by getting folks to tell us their origin story, what got you to this point in your professional life. Can you catch us up on what got you to this point in your career? Yes, absolutely, Mike. And thank you once again very much for having me for this conversation. So education is, uh, is very close uh, to my heart. The part of the world that I come from, education was not accessible to everyone. It was not easy to get the basic education. And that's where I feel that the right to education, the equity for education, that's very important. And that's where technology can play a big role. And that's the entire association with that tech. That's where it comes from. I currently work with Harbinger Group. And Harbinger Group specializes in working with a host of edtech companies across the globe and help them in deploying cutting-edge technology solutions. And uh, <clears throat> I've been in the e-learning industry, digital learning industry for the last 18 years or so, and worked with a host of uh, organizations and institutions in setting up various initiatives around digital learning and education. Yeah, and I've noticed, and folks who are interested, check out harbingergroup.com. That's where you can find the work that Rahul and, and folks over there are doing, but a lot of the research, and I think what caught my eye was you identified trends, ed tech trends to watch in 2022. There's a number of blog posts that you have out there. There's also, you've been going deep on artificial intelligence and how AI is impacting things like the skills economy and how organizations are thinking about human capital, learning and development. Some really interesting posts there. So if folks are curious about that, we'll talk a bit about these articles as part of this conversation, but you can find them at harbingergroup.com. Maybe beginning with your take on ed tech trends, can you give us a sense of what's new and emerging? What do we mean by ed tech and, and what are you seeing nowadays in terms of new and emerging trends in the space? Well, absolutely, Mike. I think these are the most fascinating times in the ed tech industry. If anything, the pandemic just pushed the digital transformation pace, the pace at which it needs to be done. To start with, I would uh, say that the ed tech industry, I would say there are four key segments. First one is the skilling space, which is about the non-traditional learner, the adult education, workforce training. Uh, the second one is higher education, online universities. Third one is K-12 and fourth is pre-K-12. There's a lot happening in all those four segments. But in the year 2022, segments which will show significant activity or are of paramount importance is the skilling space. Because you might have read, you know, there's so many McKinsey and World Economic Forum reports that say that, you know, there's huge talent shortage. Everyone is grappling with it. And the great resignation wave just made it very clear that, yes, there is a huge talent crunch, be it white collar jobs, blue collar jobs. So that's where to ensure the economic mobility and to drive the economy and countries where they're trying to come out of recession after the COVID hit uh, economy downturn, the skilling gap is most important. And that's where we, we see a lot of skilling platforms flourishing 
a lot of investment happening there, a lot of good work happening there. Mm-hmm. And of course, the second segment is the higher education online universities. Within that particular segment, I think uh, the digital transformation journey, there's hardly a college or a university which would not want to have an online education arm mm-hmm. to supplement their existing face-to-face programs. So the digital transformation journey, the online program management players, the OPM players, they'll have a big say uh, in this particular year. College admissions, for college admissions, there's a lot of usage of AI that companies are using. Uh, data integration and interoperability, of course, they were already there and they would be there. And just going back to the skilling, reskilling, upskilling space, I think uh, the movement has already started with companies started to hire for skills rather than degrees Yep. and the micro-credentialing. So there's this connect between the higher education online universities. Then you have the skilling platforms, which make people job ready. And then you have enterprises who absorb this population. And then the enterprises would send back these people back to higher ed online universities or skilling platforms. So it's a continuous learning journey process and this ecosystem is shaping up very well. Yeah, it's interesting. And and then the other player in the space is big tech is doing its own training initiatives and uh, upskilling, cross-skilling, outskilling. There's a lot of activity in the emerging skills economy. And increasingly we are seeing that Amazon and Salesforce and the the bigger employers are at times figuring out that skilling problem. Sometimes they're doing it with higher ed, traditional higher ed, and sometimes they're doing it on their own. Is that something you've observed? Any further context uh, you might be able to provide on that trend? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think the OPM players are are playing a big role. There's this company called Guild Education. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've partnered with some of the big players in the enterprise segment. What what Gil does is it's, it's basically creates a specific training program or a learning program or a career pathway, which is applicable to the employees of, let's say, Walmart or Coca-Cola. Yep. And it's not the, you know, one size fits for the old learning plan or career pathway. It's dedicated specifically to that organization. Mm-hmm. So either people are using OPM players like Emeritus, to, to get the re- uh, required certification and scaling process done, or else they're hiring people like Guild Education to create uh, custom career pathways for their employees. Right. So online program management is what the OPM stands for, for folks who, who may be curious about it. And then it's also, this is frequently referred to as, you know, public-private partnerships or different models are emerging where higher ed it's not able to solve these things on its own, but as a partner with industry, there are new and emerging models that we're seeing. And Guild, G-U-I-L-D, is one of the, the bigger players. They, um, they're funded recently. I know they were in the news. Was it a big investment in the Guild? I'm trying to recall. Yes, absolutely. There, there was a big investment that Guild got. And lately in the last uh, one year, I think they've made two or three major partnerships, huge partnerships. Yeah. And their valuation, like when we talk about EdTech unicorns, there are an increasing number of EdTech companies whose valuations are are really growing. And as a sector, the pandemic seems to have been creeped from my perception. And I believe what I've read, I'd love to hear more of your your take on this, is that there's been increased investment in EdTech. And that's where some of the trends that you're talking about around the, the skills economy, the skills gap, trying to trying to fill those gaps. 
And then also using some of these emerging technologies uh, is the other trend that I wanted to get into with you because that's where things like extended reality and artificial intelligence, which allows us to talk about the metaverse, there are some new and emerging trends around those technologies as they relate to ed tech. Yes, uh, I think that's a very valid point, Mike. Uh, this entire thing about EdTech is, I remember we did a panel discussion with a couple of investors and we said that, has EdTech industry moved beyond the sunshine industry? And the answer was a definite yes. I think the pandemic just, when the pandemic hit, no one was prepared and people were scrambling for any tools or makeshift options through which they could continue education. And it was a lot of a band-aid job, as they say, that happened. But then there was a lot of investment started. I think the trend started with China leading the charts. China was the number one and then closely followed by US. And that was in the year 2020, the first year of pandemic. But in the year 2021, slowly and gradually, US took over and became number one in terms of investment. And in this year itself, 2022, the first quarter of the calendar year, that has seen exponential investment, more than the two years put together. Mm. And when it started, the, when the investment started, there were four key technology trends or emerging technologies which were like ahead in terms of investment. The first one was artificial intelligence. Second one was the virtual reality or the extended reality. Third was robotics. And fourth was blockchain. Mm -hmm. So this was 2020. And they said that these are the four technology trends to watch out for this maximum investment that's going to happen in these particular areas. Mm -hmm. Moving ahead in the current year, I think there's has been a significant investment in artificial intelligence. By far, if you pick up any reports or investment trends, artificial intelligence is leading the pack in terms of the technology trends. Yeah. And in my opinion, I would say closely followed by extended reality. Mm -hmm. And then you add the metaverse or the Web3 angle to it. Blockchain, yes, it's relevant. Robotics, it's relevant, but probably yet to take off in terms of major investments. And unicorns, I think sooner or later, edtech industry would have the maximum number of unicorns put together. And at, at this point of stage, uh, we'll talk about AI a little bit later, Mike, but I wanted to get your sense in terms of you have been in the education industry for so long, you've been speaking to so many people, you're yourself an expert in this area. What do you think about this entire metaverse talk? Is it really going to change the landscape, the web three, the metaverse? How is it going to shape up the education industry? That's a good question. It's nice when folks turn the table. I'm a big believer in where web three writ large is going in the next, say five to 10 years, but I think different components in the short term are probably a little bit more in the hype cycle where the technology gets a lot of buzz early. It's looking for investment, particularly on the R&D side. So I think we're hearing a lot more around that flurry of activity for things like the blockchain, which may take a little bit longer. The trend towards decentralization, for example, is one that we're going to see, I think, rise over, say, the next five, 10 years. But if you look at 2022, I think it's more like what you're indicating where some applications of AI, some applications of extended reality will be more ready to go to market. So I think it's more likely that we'll see a direct impact there. And it's also a place where I've already seen plenty of cases where you can snap 
the extended reality VR, AR into an educational context, teaching something like algebra, teaching something like anatomy and find an immediate benefit to the point that you'll get some investment and maybe actually impact outcomes. Whereas things like blockchain probably take a little bit longer. I know you've gone deep on AI in particular. Maybe we could go there next. What are you seeing trends around AI as it relates to the skills economy you were referring to and also to education just generally? Thank you very much for bringing up this question, Mike. I think this is a topic on which I can go on for hours, but I'll try to keep myself as concise as possible. I think one of the key areas that AI can play a significant role is on closing on the skills gap. And uh, I'll just try to paint a picture around it, how AI can be leveraged to do. See, the fundamental fuel for AI to be successful is data. So what we need is data, good amount of data, volume of data, through which we can make sense out of things. Let's say that there's an organization with maybe 50,000 odd employees and they want to ensure that they are able to train their employees and you know, skill them, reskill them, upskill them based on the business requirements. So the first thing that needs to happen is there has to be some sort of competency matrix that the organization has to define. For example, if I'm on the manufacturing shop floor, I need certain type of skill sets and competencies. It cannot be same for a field sales professional and a manufacturing shop floor uh, personnel. Mm -hmm. So based on the specific job roles, defining a competency matrix. So that says that the organization says that, okay, I want these competencies in my employees for this particular job role. Then the second important aspect is how are you capturing the performance data? So there are a lot of HRIS applications. Uh, there's a lot of uh, other areas wherein you store employee performance data. For example, you give them KRAs and you'll evaluate their KRAs. Wait, I'm sorry, what, what, what's a KRA? Is that like a KPI? Yeah, like a KPI, key responsibility area. There you go. Yep, key performance indicators. It's not, it's not an so, OKR though, right? It's not an OKR. No. <laughs> we like our TLAs. We like our three-letter acronyms. All right. Yes, please continue. That's about the performance data, for example. And every organization would have their own way of capturing the performance data. Some would do it methodologically in a system. Some would do it in Excel. And, you know, the frequency would also vary. Some would do it on a daily basis. Some would do weekly, monthly, annually. Yeah. But the point is that you need to have some sort of performance data. Now, the first step that the AI comes into picture is AI maps the competency matrix with the performance data of an individual. And after mapping the data, the AI should be able to clearly identify that, okay, these are the competency gaps that a particular learner or an individual has. And why are we bringing AI into this is, one is, uh, I'm a strong believer of this. We don't want to be biased. If AI is looking at it, let's say even if AI is performing at its 60%, 70% accuracy level, still that 60% or 70% accuracy is same across the board for all the employees. There's no conscious or unconscious bias. And then there's standardization of data. And then there is economy of scale. If you have to do this for 50,000 odd employees, right. it will take an army of HR professionals or managers to get this done. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> once the competency gaps have been identified, then there's no dearth of learning material. An organization would have their own learning material. They would have their learning management system. 
They would have access to LinkedIn Learning, Udemy, Coursera, open educational resources, YouTube, Wikipedia, blogs, endless things. Now this AI can crawl into this entire learning ecosystem and identify what are the right kind of learning objects, learning nuggets, learning material, and then recommend a learning pathway. So the learning pathway has already been recommended, but to fulfill that learning pathway, these are the learning materials that you need to consume. And it can keep on nudging the learner, the employee, that you need to do this, you're doing here. So it's kind of a continuous performance support. So this, now this becomes an AI-enabled virtual coach, which keeps on working with you on your strengths, on your weaknesses, keeps on guiding you in the right direction, gives you one-on-one -on -one attention. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, you put a round of evaluation. So you had identified the competency gaps, you recommended learning pathways, the learner has gone through the learning journey. Now you evaluate another set of data after the learner has gone through the learning journey. And then you see if there are still gaps, then you make course corrections. And this is how the continuous learning cycle keeps on evolving. Mm -hmm. So that's where I believe that uh, AI and quite a lot of organizations are using this model. I would say that, you know, I haven't seen anyone using this end to end but people have started using it in bits and pieces, like not all the five components, but maybe four or maybe three. This is uh, this is one area where AI can you know play a very strong role in in, in increasing the pace at which we skill, upskill, and reskill our people. Yeah, yeah, and I think it probably depends on the maturity of the organization's learning capability paired with its technology and data capability. Where frequently organizations aren't even operational on some of those levels, or they're just, their data is stitched together so that they can deliver something, but how much they're able to actually instrument it and build those feedback loops that you're describing, that's really what separates a more mature organization from one that is just either just beginning or is struggling with legacy technology. There's a wide cross-section out there, but I agree with your fundamental point that learning as a strategy and learning as a key pillar for your, how you think about your human capital and how you think about your competitive advantage. It's almost like you need to be pairing both those things. You need an AI strategy and then you need a human capital strategy that's thinking about where humans will play a critical role in the future of work and where in some places the AI, you know, the robot overlords, I can't get through a show without talking about robot overlords role, but uh, you know, the, there is a, a risk to some types of work that the automation and the robots and the AI will begin to replace humans, which then argues for movement towards those new and emerging skills. Do you have any perspective on that in terms of building the right skills profile to stay out ahead of what's emerging in the marketplace? That's a that's a very interesting question, Mike. I think in my opinion, the AI, the role that AI needs to play is a supplementary role. It cannot replace the human capital management. I think it just needs to help people do relevant things. I'll answer this question of yours by giving an example in the education space as to how AI can play a role in the education space. And instead of replacing the facilitator or the instructor, how it can actually help the facilitator or the educator do more things for to better student outcomes. There's a McKinsey report that says 
on an average, a teacher, a facilitator or a professor has 50 hours of uh, work time in a week. And out of these 50 hours, since the pandemic hit and since the education was uh, disrupted, these facilitators, instructors, teachers, they're only able to spend 49% of time interacting with students or delivering education to the students. Mm. And you'll be surprised to know, Mike, the remaining 51% of their time goes in doing mundane admin tasks. Mm. If AI can come in and help take over some of those mundane admin tasks and increase this 49% to maybe 59% or 69%, mm -hmm. that's going to do a great uh, job for student outcomes and for uh, reducing facilitator or instructor or teacher burnout. Technology can only play a role to a certain extent. And in fact, uh, this is where we have worked on this model, which we call the PESE model. It stands for prepare, engage, support, and evaluate. And this is applicable both for students and teachers. For example, if a teacher has to prepare for, a, let's say, a Zoom session and they have to deliver a lecture, there are a lot of things that they need to do uh, in terms of preparation. Of course, they are the experts, the content, the expertise, uh, those things the teachers would have. But just one uh, small example is they might have to create abstracts or summaries of topics about which they're going to talk about, or they might want to share those abstracts or summaries with, with the students. What if, if there is an AI tool which can take a 20-pager uh, document or a 40-pager PDF document on a particular topic and create a one-pager or a two-pager abstract out of it. Yeah. And that contains all the keywords and important words. That's where we are helping the facilitator or the teacher prepare for the session. And in turn, we are saving some time from the uh, teacher. And by the way, Rahul, that would also help me write my show notes for podcast episodes too. So there's extended applications of, of the AI. I am looking for that too. So if anyone does know of a nice app in which I could dump a transcript of a conversation into an application and get deeply annotated show notes, this abstract that you're describing, that is a, that's a real use case that I am curious about. So hit us up at Trending in Ed with your insights and perspectives. But yeah, this is all Really interesting. I can't remember a time I've been in uh, educational technology learning since really the, the beginning of the 21st century. I can't remember a time really since then, because it was pretty exciting in the, the first days of the web and figuring out learning solutions. It sounds like you have, you have a suggestion, uh, Rahul? Yes, uh, that's correct, Mike. You gave a very wonderful use case in terms of creating nodes from your podcast. We have worked on this product called Quillions, and it's an AI-enabled assessments and notes generation tool. Interesting. So basically it works on the natural language processing uh, mm -hmm. algorithms. Mm -hmm. And what it does is the entire process is not automated. So there's human intervention and human curation. Yeah. So let's say you have 10 pages of your podcast and you input that into that application. Then the application will ask you that, okay, what are the keywords that you want to highlight in this 10 pager yeah. document? Yeah. So you highlight those keywords. And then the algorithm will pick up those keywords and then create an abstract based on those keywords. Mm -hmm. And then once you get, get that abstract, 
then you might have to spend some time curate, curating the content and looking for accuracy. But, you know, it, it can save tremendous time for people who want to get these things done. Look, look and, at you uh, providing really real-time value on this conversation, Rahul. That was awesome. I'll have to look at Quillians with a Z after we wrap up here. We are getting closer to time where you're someone who's got his, his uh, feelers out, his antenna up, his ear to the ground, all the good things. You're paying attention to what's new and emerging in the world around us. Anything else we haven't talked about so far that's capturing your attention, capturing your imagination that folks should uh, maybe pay a little more attention to? No, I think we touched upon the two very important aspects in the education or the ed tech space, rather, I would say. One is the skills economy. And the second one is uh, the supporting the educators and students in this digital transformation journey. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the only other point that I would like to bring up is it's about a community. Like they have a saying that it takes a village to, you know, grow a child. Yeah. So the other stakeholders in this education community whom we have not touched upon today are the parents mm -hmm. and the policymakers. Mm -hmm. And the parents, the policymakers, the teachers, and the students, all of them have to come together to address some of these challenges. For example, there's a lot of talk about whether AI being ethical or not. So yeah. that question we have to answer together. Mm -hmm. And of course, technology cannot be intrusive, but it has to be supportive enough so that it can help the entire community because there's no way that you are going to go back to the normal things prior to the pandemic. The digital transformation is here to stay and we have to help our communities come up this learning curve in terms of how to adapt to technology uh, for, for a better economic mobility and equity in education. That's how I would, how I would put it together. So yeah, uh, these were some of the thoughts that I wanted to share. Yeah, I mean, that's talking about the, the, the digital divide and digital readiness and how different stakeholders in an ecosystem, some may not be as ready to engage with even a mobile device, let alone artificial intelligence or extended reality, you know, and we are all hopefully moving towards a more inclusive and accessible strategy for design of our digital ecosystems. Any thoughts on the future as we wrap up here, Rahul? Concluding thoughts, folks that want to get more from Rahul and team, it's harbingergroup.com where you can find all this stuff. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? My final thoughts are that technology is to the role of a teacher, a facilitator, a coach. It's not there to replace them. They're the centerpiece of it. And the technology is only a supplemental and a supporting tool for them. One day they may be in the metaverse while they're teaching, but the metaverse will only be a supporting tool. We'll continue to push the envelope. We'll continue to bring in folks like Raul to help us understand where the world of learning is heading. Raul, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you very much, Mike, for having me today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Awesome. And hopefully our listeners also enjoyed the conversation. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.